Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Hey, 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 good evening, Facebook family. Welcome to another episode of Post Daily Dose. With me, your trusted parenting advisor, faithful guide, and servant on the healing journey. What's my name? Big Papa Brian Post. Hope everyone is having a fantastic Monday. T-G-I-M. Thank God it is Monday. Just another manic Monday. I'm glad Sunday's over because I love Monday. So let's talk about something. I had a question from one of my longtime posties who's been putting in some work trying to help her uh, youngster get on the right track and things have been going well and they're encountering some challenges with school. And hey there, Lisa. And the little girl's having a problem with the teacher. Music. And the teacher sent a message to mom, which... Of course, it's pretty alarming and stressful. And she, it was about a two and a half minute message, so there was a lot to be said. And, and at the very ending, it said, you know, I usually give uh, three warnings and then you get an uh-oh. And after the third warning, you, you get a level two or something. So I guess you get in trouble. And so the teacher said that on this particular occasion, I love, I remember I love this statement. I understand that she has a 504 and an IEP. <laughs> okay. All right. Big Papa's going to try to make this politically correct, so maybe it can be useful. We'll take a deep breath. When we say we understand a child has a 504 or an IEP, Stephen Covey says to understand is to do. I really like that. Like I've been saying it for a long time. To understand is to do. When you say you understand something, then you have to act accordingly. So if we know the child has an IEP and a 504, probably what would be good would be to go back and look at it because a lot of times teachers don't get access to it. So this team, if you've never been in an IEP meeting, this team of, of uh, parents and school professionals sit around and write out these goals and objectives and all these things and call it an IEP. And it's, you know, it's probably the single best way that parents can advocate for their children. But then it really doesn't, I mean, a teacher's, you know, got 30, 60 kids in their classroom, the likelihood that they're going to reflect on an IEP. And this is a, this music teacher only sees a child twice a week. So the likelihood that she's even seen the IEP is slim to none. First thing I would want mom or dad to do Knowing that there's been some challenges, set up a meeting and go talk to the teacher and tell her what your child's early experiences are that have led for her to need an IEP. Be an advocate and educate. Okay, so make some time. Doesn't have to be more than 15 minutes. And, you know, maybe you write it down. Here, this is, this is what's going on with our kid. Okay. The other thing is, probably within that IEP and within that history, there is some, and probably within, within your experiences at home, there are some challenges with transition. What the teacher was describing as the child, um, actually, it wasn't just this. It wasn't just our post-child. It was a couple of other children were playing around. See, that's important. We don't want just our post-children to get singled out, okay? We want to, and, and I want you as parents to realize that it's it's not always just your child who's who's having issues, and it feels that way. 
But there were a couple other children playing around too. Okay, so she was dilly-dallying around, lollygagging, whatever, not going to class. And the teacher says she was holding up the other, the other students. And so the teacher gives her three warnings. And we know that warnings just cause more stress. So a child who has issues with transition is slow. You know, this, this is a new experience. So I want you to remember this. She's being taught twice a day. See, these are the things that I pay attention to when I'm reading someone's question or when I'm listening to them tell me about a challenge. All the little details, because it's the details. It's the process that dictates the outcome. The process dictates the outcome. And that's what I want you guys to start thinking about as parents. When you start encountering these issues that your children are having, what are the details? What are the details? So we know that this child only has music twice, twice a week. Twice a week is new. And I'm thinking this is like this child is like seven or eight years old. I don't remember. But that's a little bitty. It's a little bitty kid. So twice a week, there's a new experience of music. That in and of itself is stressful. So there's a new transition. That in and of itself is stressful. All the children were a little wound up. And they all were, but the ones who can regulate more effectively were able to go sit down. The ones who are prone to a little bit more dysregulation or a little bit more stress sensitive just couldn't. So your daughter being in that contingent. But they're all wound up, and it's music. It's supposed to be somewhat fun. Maybe maybe teacher was having a bad day. So if we know she has some transition challenges, one of the things a teacher can do is go ahead and start the class. Because the teacher says she gave her a warning, and then she gave her, um, what did she say? A warning in front of the class. Now we're really increasing stress. Number one, you give her a warning, increasing stress. Number two, you give her a warning in front of the class, increasing stress, because that's public shaming, which is not okay. And then number three, I'm not sure, I can't remember what she said. If you're a teacher, just start teaching. Just go and start the class. And if you've got everyone else setting down and you have this one child who's got these challenges with this transition, go ahead and start teaching. She'll make her way to her chair as soon as the attention is off of her. As long as the attention's on her, she's going to continue to get overwhelmed because that's the root of what causes the challenge to begin with. So go ahead and start teaching. Now, what you can also do because you know this child has an IEP and you know she has a 504, so how do you address her before class starts different than you do the other children? Well, oh, see, I heard it right there. Well, why would I? Why do I need to address her different than I do everyone? I don't want to sing her out. I don't want to give her special privileges. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give her positive attention for negative behavior. Guess what? If you don't invest with that child on the front end of that class, the whole classroom is going to be disrupted. Now think about that. We get so resistant and so fearful about investing extra time in children who are stress sensitive and are fearful. Now, see, the problem is. We look at children's behaviors in a negative way. We look at them in a negative way. Because we look at them in a negative way, we're feeling threatened. We're feeling stressed. We're easily overwhelmed. So that's why we say we're not, we don't want to give positive attention to negative behavior. Because you're looking at the behavior as negative. I'm not looking at the behavior as negative. I'm looking at the behavior as a red flag of a child who's having transition issues because she's stress sensitive and, fear, and fearful. When I see the child is stress sensitive and fearful, then it changes my understanding of what this child needs energetically. 
So then I'm going to make a point to connect with her before class. I may make a point to go get my room set up and go into the next classroom when the bell rings and walk with her to class. I may just make sure she sees me when she comes in. I give her a smile, go get down on my knees and I give her a little hug and say, I'm glad to see you. You're so musically inclined. This is going to be a good day. Have you had a good day so far? Just a little bit of investment can change the whole dynamic. But instead, when we become stressed and we feel threatened, we get a little victimized. And this is how I know the teacher felt victimized. Because she said that the little girl was looking at her. I think she said scowling at her the whole time. She didn't say gaze. She didn't say look. I think she said scowling scowling at her the whole time and intentionally pushing her buttons. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a, that's, a, that's a nasty little dynamic. When we think that someone is intentionally pushing our buttons, that means we are taking their behavior personally because something they're doing is causing us stress. Something they're doing is causing us to be reactive. So we're looking at it as intentional behavior. What if, what if she'd had a hard class? Maybe she'd had a hard lunchtime. Maybe she'd lost a friend. Maybe things had been stressful at home. Maybe she smelled something before she walked in the class that triggered her. And it got her thinking about something that's in that IEP history or in that IEP summary. Got her feeling overwhelmed and stressed out. And when she's looking at you, she's actually not pushing your buttons, not doing it to push your buttons. She's looking at you because she's in a frozen state. She's in a dissociative state because her brain's in a state of overwhelm. And she can't follow directions because in that moment she's completely overwhelmed. Because in that moment she's reliving her trauma. Now we perceive it because we see that scowl. We see it as, or what if it was something you were wearing? Or what if it was the tone of your voice? Or what if it was your facial expression that caused her to have a PTSD episode? But she can't tell you that because she's a small child. But that scowl you see and that moving around, moving here, moving there, and not doing exactly what she's supposed to do, you take it personally because there's some connection to that for you that makes you feel bad, makes you feel uncomfortable. And I would just want to encourage any teacher, anytime you feel like a child is pushing your buttons, ask yourself this question. What's underneath the button? What is it about this child in this moment that's stirring, that, that, what is it stirring up in this moment? When have I felt this way before? Feel empowered to gain control over what's under the button, and then it doesn't matter how much the, bu the button gets pushed, because you have control over it. So that was like the, the last big one, is rethinking pushing buttons children can't push buttons where there's nothing to push if we say he's pushing my buttons then in reality he's doing you a favor he's a blessing to give you an opportunity to work on something that you haven't worked on yet you should be glad when you're getting your buttons pushed because that means there's some unconscious material there that you haven't had access to that's just getting that's getting stirred up within you helplessly. So then mom 
feels overwhelmed because school hasn't been going very well and she's feeling like the school can't meet can't meet her child's needs which feels really bad in and of itself don't jump to that too soon call another IEP meeting pull the school back in hold them accountable Let's really talk about what's on that IEP and let's get everyone involved with that little girl. Let's get them on the IEP team. Let's start talking about this. Let's have a conversation about the, the struggle she's having, the time she's having. Them. Remember this, severe behavior is almost always predictable. Severe behavior is almost always predictable. If she's struggling in school, there's a reason, and that reason is because of stress and fear. It doesn't have to get any more complicated than that. It doesn't mean that school can't meet her needs. It just means that they have not seen the fear and stress points yet and learned how to massage those and calm that vibration down to help her being less overwhelmed and then helping her understand the overwhelm in those moments, helping her understand what may be going on with her in those moments. So, Jenny, I hope that's helpful. I hope that all of you can take something out of that and uh, it can be useful and, you know, maybe share it with a teacher. I try to be as diplomatic as possible on this fine day. If you have teachers that have questions, I'd be happy to fill them. So just ask, you know, if they, they have a question about a particular student, just, uh, you know, have them write it down. Send it to me in a messenger and I'll, I'll get to it. I'd love to talk to those those fine folks who are educating um, our fine children. In fact, today I went to a funeral this morning, the funeral of my first babysitter. I've known this lady my whole life. Her name was Lily George. Sweet, sweet, beautiful woman. Every time, every time without fail, I saw this woman throughout my life. She always had a big old smile, a big old hug for me. She literally treated me like a son. And at Lily's funeral, I saw Mrs. Tipton. Mrs. Tipton was my favorite teacher in the fifth grade. I think everyone that ever, every anyone that ever had Miss Tipton as a teacher um, loved her. And so I saw her and I walked, I smiled at her and I, I put my arm around her and I could tell she didn't know who I was. And she told me who her brothers were standing there because they both knew me. And I said, you were my favorite teacher. And she looked at me and she went, <gasps> Brian? Little Brian, <laughs> that was fantastic. So I love teachers and I know it can be challenging. It can be challenging the same way it can be challenging for parents. When children have trauma histories, their unique, their unique presence in this world is to help us look at stuff that we've not yet looked at before. It's their unique gift and it's their unique blessing that they bring all of us to create a, a stress vibration, to put us in our brain stems, to look at material that we haven't looked at before. All right, guys, I got to get out of here. I got a very special little cousin having a little get-together for a graduation thing she's got going on. Remember, in any situation, we always have two choices. We can continue to react and feel stress and overwhelm by our same blueprints of stress and fear, or we can stop. We can take three to ten deep breaths. We can ask ourselves, how am I feeling in this moment? I saw some, something recently. Bruce Perry came out with, with his three R's, which is funny. I came out with three R's 15 years ago, Bruce. 15 years, 15, almost 20 years ago. I came out with the three R's 20 years ago. So you got to, you know, move a little fast. Just follow what Big Papa's doing, brother, and you'll get all kinds of little insights and in, 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 uh, light bulbs that uh, weren't previously there. Reflect. Stop and take three to ten deep breaths. 
and ask yourself, how are you feeling in this moment? Reflect on what you're feeling. Relate. Share how you're feeling with your child and say to your child, I think you may be feeling this way. How are you feeling? They'll say, I don't know. You say, I think you're feeling, I'm, I'm feeling stressed. Maybe you're feeling stressed. They can tell you. Maybe you're feeling scared. Maybe you're feeling angry. Whatever it is. It's important for you to see the stress and the fear. And then when you do that, when you reflect, you relate, you regulate automatically. God bless. Enjoy your Monday evening. Monday night football is probably on for some great football fan. Big Papa loves you. God bless you. We'll talk to you tomorrow.